The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Third time's the charm, they say, as Dan hits the record button for the third try after first trying to do a show with a uh, tissue up my nose, and second, then calling this show today in sports betting when that's very clearly not the name of this show. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I did get my own name right, so that's good. I'm Dan Bespris. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Approaching a little milestone on Twitter actually right now. 6,990 of you have located me, which is kind of crazy and shows how little I understand the modern world, that that's how, that's like a currency at this point. Well, in any event. Uh, I'm out of my mind. I'm on antihistamines from here to the moon, and so my brain is floating in a weird puddle of Zyrtex and Benadryls and the like. So if I say something completely idiotic on today's podcast, you guys will all have to forgive me, but I think I can make it through. We are uh, one day after the trade deadline. The dust has settled to some degree. We actually might get to see some players take the floor for their new teams tonight, and that's actually kind of what I want to do on today's show. I don't really want to do the normal week in review Friday podcast because uh, a lot of things happened yesterday. By the time the actual trade deadline rolled around and through, we said something like 15 or 16 trades, and a good handful of those had significant fantasy ramifications. Now, what it means for guys that were on the waiver wire, as we talked about on yesterday's show, and then certainly on the four-hour live show we put out yesterday, is less so. You know, the, the, the fringy guys kind of stayed fringy guys for the most part, but we do have teams that changed some of their complexions a little bit. So what I'd like to do today, we're going to forego our typical ad, drop, stream, watch list, thing that we do on Fridays. We'll get back to that next week. Don't worry. That's we're not wanna, we're not scratching that format from this show altogether. But I just thought this week was special. It was special. It was unique in that we did get the trade deadline. And uh because of that and then because of just you know miscellaneous late scratches and injury news, we have a lot of weird stuff going on in the NBA. So to that end Today's show is all preview-based. Because yesterday we did uh, the the full recap, the trade deadline stuff. So if you if you need any of that, that's yesterday's podcast. And again, uh, youtube.com slash hoopball is where you can find the entire four-hour live show. And you can figure out where we talked about stuff. Because just look at when Woj and Shams were tweeting things. And that's basically your timestamp to when... You can go find out our thoughts on uh, pretty much every one of those deals as they went down. So, again, that's why I think today is interesting in that we can look at all 30 teams. But instead of just a quick, this is what we're watching for, I think it's going to be a little bit of a longer breakdown. There's a lot of stuff going on with, uh, you know, almost half of the teams in the NBA right now. And so that is where we will focus our energies today. Again, this is a hoopball presentation, hoop-ball.com, the website. I say again because we talked about the YouTube page already. That was youtube.com slash hoopball. We're going to continue to be ramping up our YouTube activity at that site. And here's why you should follow the hoopball YouTube page or uh, subscribe or whatever the, the proper YouTube lingo is. Again, that's youtube.com slash hoopball. Go subscribe to it now because our team of experts are going to be focused really hard on instant reaction stuff. Yes, we can get the quick hitter instant reactions on Twitter uh, where, you know, news breaks and then I'm going to quote retweet it and I'll put something out there like, yeah, let's say hypothetically news breaks in the next couple of days of where Andre Drummond ends up signing because he was now officially bought out. Yeah, we can tweet whatever it is, 140 characters, 280 characters about where he's headed and what that might mean. It takes a 10-minute instant reaction pod to really break down what it means for his fantasy game, 
the fantasy game of everybody around him, how you compare that to other players in the league. If you're buying, what should you give up? And so there's more to it than that. There's, you know, there's there's five minutes at least of discussion that needs to be had on this stuff that can apply to different league types and different team builds and what you should be doing. So now, obviously, if there was, uh, you know, Gorgie Jang actually is another interesting example. He just got waived basically right before we started this podcast by the Grizzlies. Let's say he goes to a place that needs 24 to 26 minutes out of a center. He's someone that on Twitter, you can very easily say, pick him up. That's easy. But let's say Andre Drummond hypothetically signs with the Celtics. I'm just pulling this one. Apparently, they're, they claim they're in the running, but we know how the Celtics are. They're always like just outside. Uh, like They're close, but they never... Always the bridesmaid kind of a thing with, with this type of stuff. The... But for our hypothetical example, it's actually important to just assume that that's what happens. Let's say that Andre Drummond goes to Boston. There's more to be said about that hypothetical scenario than just whether or not you start him or add him or trade for him. There's more because there's Robert Williams. There's uh, Tristan Thompson, although that's not quite as important. There's the Celtics desire over the course of this season to run two big men side by side. Will they be doing that? So there's all these things that would need to be discussed on an instant reaction show, a five to 10 minute hit, quick hitter, get you in and out, get you the information you need, but you just can't do it. Even in a tweet storm, you couldn't do it. It'll still take you 20 or 30 minutes to type all that out where you could just get on YouTube, do five to 10 minutes. And that is why you guys need to be following and subscribing to the HoopBall YouTube page. Again, that's youtube.com slash HoopBall. Uh, we're going to keep keep on growing it from there. But I want to dive right into the look ahead. Yes, we had some games on Thursday night. Um, the the big pieces, I guess, of those things, what to pull out. Alec Burks is still a very good streamer in New York. Uh, Mitchell Robinson and Taj Gibson ended up basically splitting the center minutes because the Knicks made their big comeback when Taj was on the floor. It wasn't really Taj doing it, but the fact that he was with the unit that was making the comeback meant that he get to he got to sort of keep his spot out there. Wizards are our team to watch going forward, and we'll tell you why during the upcoming uh, look-ahead segment. Portland, CJ McCollum starting to get his legs back. That's good for Miami. They were without Jimmy Butler, and those are the games where other people tend to step up and do some stuff. Clippers without Kawhi Leonard and without Marcus Morris played a defensive game. I think with San Antonio, by the way, I think Keldon Johnson is a drop. He kept sort of buying himself a little more time, a little more time, a little more. It's not, he's not, I don't think he's a guy that, you know, head-to-head he might be a compiler the rest of the way because the Spurs have a lot of ball games. But in a, a games cap format, or if you could want to turn his spot into a streamer slot, you know, kind of a long streamer with the Spurs having so many games the rest of the way. But overall, his per-game production isn't quite there. Warriors without Dre and without Steph had no shot against a Kings team. That is another one of those ones that were sort of in look-ahead mode. We'll talk more about them then. And then Philly, it was ring night. Danny Green got his uh, revenge game suited up. 28 points against his former club on eight three-pointers. He's actually quietly been a pretty good fantasy player this year. Yes, part of that is weighted for games when Embiid and Simmons and other guys were out. But you know what? That all counts. When you draft a guy like Danny Green and understand that he's probably going to be a guy who benefits from other people being out more than he is, that has to go into your analysis. Dwight Howard got ejected for uh, running into Montrez Harrell on his way to the bench. Something stupid. Something very Dwight Howardy. Dwight Howard uh, heel turn here late in his career. He's... He's embraced the void. <laughs> uh, Lakers side, I mean, it's a bit ugly without LeBron and without AD, but uh, Dennis Schroeder, he's a guy you're rolling with. KCP got hot in this one, but I don't know that you can trust him. And then Kuzma and all of his fantasy warts generally tends to be just ever so slightly above the cut line here with everybody else out. And uh, Marcus Ole, hey, Marcus Ole made his return this week for the Lakers after a uh, pretty good bad bout with COVID. He got it and he got it socked right in the mouth. But I didn't want to spend too much time 
on the Thursday recap. I, I, I genuinely don't believe that that is the most important thing right now. I think the most important thing is understanding what we're going to be doing with these teams over the weekend. Because a lot of them are segueing into kind of new looks the rest of the way. And we get a lot of it tonight. Friday night, it's an 11-game card. You know, most of the league is playing tonight. 22 out of the 30 teams, I'm going to call that most. What is that? That's over 70%, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, So let's just start at the top, and we will methodically work our way through the full list. Because there's a lot. There really is. There's a lot. This is not your typical quick, you know, 10-minute look-ahead segment. Brooklyn is at Detroit. That's the first game on the docket here on Friday night, and there's stuff to look at in this one. Uh, This is supposed to be the last game that Kyrie Irving is missing in his three-game absence for family reasons. We will see if that does indeed turn out to be the case, but he's not the only thing to watch on the Brooklyn side. It sounds like James Harden has been cleared to play with his next stuff going on, but uh, elsewhere with the Nets, Nick Claxton is the guy to watch. And all right, let's, again, this is, I want to be able to pause and I want to talk about these guys at every juncture and not have to rush our way through it. Claxton has, uh, he's seen his ownership really spike, particularly after uh, the 16 and nine game in Portland, because everybody loves when somebody scores 16 points. That's like that moment where people start to actually take notice of what you're doing out there. Uh, The uh, follow-up game against Utah, as expected, was a difficult one for pretty much anybody that played minutes the night before in Portland, and they lost by 30. But that part, the actual score of the game, is not important. What is important is what is Nick Claxton the rest of the way. My assessment is a little bit less bullish than most of the other analysts, I think, in the fantasy community. And that includes our very sharp analysts here at Hoopball as well. I am... Lord Buzzkill on Nick Claxton for two main reasons. Reason number one is that his free throw shooting is atrocious. It's quite bad. And he's not shy about actually getting to the line. So, like, he's going to get fouled pretty much once a game, uh, give or take. And luckily, it's not more than that, I suppose. But it's not, you know, there aren't games where he's, like, dodged the bullet and accidentally made two out of three, or something to that effect. Basically, when he's gotten to the line, best case scenario, he's splitting a pair. That's the way it's been so far this year, or at least lately. Uh, he's 56% free throw shooter over his very brief NBA career. His field goal percent is going to be very good, but I'm, look, I'm focusing on why I'm the buzzkill when it comes to Nick Claxton. There's plenty of reason to be optimistic. His minutes have been trending up. Uh, he's seen... 20 minutes or more in five consecutive ballgames, actually 22 minutes or more in five consecutive ballgames. And over that stretch, he's been uh, pretty good, Um, but not, believe it or not, a 9-cat 12-teamer. And it's because of the two reasons I'm bringing up. Reason number one was the free throw percent, which is, it's a situation for a lot of big men. Like, you could be like, well, Dan, what about Moses Brown? He also can't really shoot the free throw, and yet you've been extraordinarily bullish what did I say before? I'm bearish, I should say. I'm bearish. I think I messed up that. I don't know, man. I'm on a lot of antihistamines right now. I'm bearish on uh, Nick Claxton. I am bullish on Moses Brown. So I apologize. I'm sure a lot of you guys were yelling at me uh, through your, your phone or computer as I was saying it. All I'm saying is, here's the big difference between Nick Claxton and Moses Brown. Yes, minutes plays is one of them, but I'm less concerned about that because... We've seen that Claxton can actually score faster than Brown. He can get points and he can get opportunities to score faster than Moses Brown, likely because he's playing with a sea of Hall of Famers in Brooklyn that are just going to get him open all the time. So like over the last week, uh, Claxton's played about 23 minutes a game and he's taken about eight shots a game in that stretch. Moses Brown over the last week is playing 31 minutes and he's taking just under eight shots per game over that stretch. So the usage situation does favor Claxton. But the big thing, and they both suck at free throw shooting. There's no real difference there. Call it a wash. In fact, lately, Claxton's been less harmful because he just hasn't taken as many as Brown has. But the big difference 
over the last week to two weeks while these guys have been ramping up their fantasy games is that Moses Brown is averaging close to 15 rebounds over the last week, basically since he's been playing starters minutes. Uh, since he's been playing any kind of significance minutes, the, the stretch here for Brown, which is eight games long, goes 12, 9, 4, 16, 3, oops, 14, 18, and 12 rebounds. So five of his eight most recent games, he's had 12 rebounds or more, and in two, he's had 16 rebounds or more, and there was one where he had nine also that I sort of didn't throw in there. There was one uh, game where he had four rebounds and fouled out, and the other one was where he just sort of got owned by Clint Capella. Whatever the hell that makes, that's what happened. Rebounding matters. We get very caught up in a big man's defensive stats, and for good reason, because it's part of why big men can rack up fantasy stats generally quicker than guards can. It's why we talk about how a guy like DeAnthony Melton is so unbelievably rare as a low-minute guard who's still putting up nine-category value, a guard that's putting up, uh, where, where is he at now, ninth-round value in under 20 minutes of ballgame. That basically only happens with big men. Robert Williams, a great example of that. Mitchell Robinson a couple years ago, a good example of that. They're all over the map. Nerlens Noel last year, a very good example of that. It's common. Okay, maybe not like ultra common for low-minute big men to put up decent... Fa- Chris Boucher, 24 minutes a game this year. He's a uh, early fifth rounder right now. Big men do it all the time. Guards never do. But one of the things that we have to stress when we talk about the big men doing this particular thing is that they have to find a way to do one of two things. To either be so overwhelmingly good in defensive stats or field goal percent or some combination of them that what I'm about to say doesn't matter or get a damn rebound. Chris Boucher, six and a half rebounds. Robert Williams, six and a half rebounds. It doesn't sound like a lot. And then Moses Brown we talked about is at like 10. But Nick Claxton, over his recent run at 24 minutes per game, 4.8 rebounds per game. And you could argue that maybe it's a little bit fluky. I wouldn't really argue that. He's not a heavy rebounding big man. He's 6'11", about 215, 220 pounder. Longer than he is wide. Averaged about three rebounds in 13 minutes a game last year. He's about four rebounds in 18 minutes a game this year. So it's not really that far off the mark. It's not as though Brooklyn is just loaded up with rebounders. The only one that you'd call such a thing is DeAndre Jordan, and those two guys are not occupying the floor at the same time. He's just not a big-time rebounding center. The high-water mark has been nine, really. And, like, look, if he's going to play 24, 25 minutes a game, I'm going to need to see him get up around seven rebounds per game, and it's not close it's not close. We have a tendency to look at the high number and think that's what's going to happen every game, but it's not. There are a lot of threes and fours. In fact, it's mostly threes and fours, and then every once in a while there's an eight flipped in there. Unclear as to why exactly it happens on that particular day, but it did. It seems like maybe it has to do with when an opposing team has a center that attacks the rim and he's around there to get the rebound. Otherwise, he's out there switching things, and he's not the guy that goes back to get it. James Harden gets a lot of those boards. A little bit of that Russell Westbrookian feel where the guard gets it and goes. So that's why I'm a little more bearish on Nick Claxton than most, and it's why we're going to continue to watch him, because, you know, if... He has a free throw shooting stretch that improves, or if he suddenly decides he he remembers how to rebound and you know he starts getting six and a half, seven, seven and a half rebounds a game in 24, 25 minutes, then yeah, that's a really big deal. That's a that's a difference making kind of jump for him. Because it's not as though he's been bad, but he's outside the top 150 over these last week to two weeks, mostly because of free throw shooting and a lack of rebounding, even though he's getting almost a steal and over a block and a half a ball a game. On good field goal percent. But it's not enough 
There needs to be more. On the Detroit side, uh, they shipped off DeLon Wright for Corey Joseph. I don't believe that Joseph is ready to go for this ballgame, but even if he was... He doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to be loading up on playing time for this team. In fact, it seems almost as though Dennis Smith Jr. now slots into the DeLon Wright role and Corey Joseph slots into the Dennis Smith Jr. role, meaning DSJ now probably getting closer to 28, 29 minutes a game. And if Corey Joseph does play for this team, he'll see more like the Dennis Smith 18, 19, 20 minutes, something in that neck of the woods, if that... And the only question mark for me in the guards situation is what happens when Killian Hayes comes back? My guess is that you see Frank Jackson phased out a little bit at that point. Because I think they want to give... I think Dennis Smith Jr. is someone they're actually like a little bit excited about. He was a guy that they asked the Knicks for in the Derrick Rose trade. I think they want to sort of give him his shot there. He's not super young anymore, but he's still relatively young. And I think they're hoping that he's been able to learn some things kind of feeling out the NBA over the last couple of years or and the G League at times. So uh, I'm pretty bullish. I'm going to get this right the rest of the show, and histamines and all, on Dennis Smith Jr. I think, in fact, if we get, uh, if we get word that he's starting tonight, I think you just fire him up. I think you fire him up and just see what happens because he was quite good when he was starting to replace Dillon Wright, remember when uh, Wright had his strained groin right before the All-Star break, DSJ filled in admirably. He triple-doubled in one of those games. I'm not dialed in on the Detroit center situation in that I actually, and I talked to you guys about this before the All-Star break. There were a lot of folks that were like, Mason Plumlee's going to get moved, and we have received here on this uh, Fantasy NBA Today of me saying, no, he's not. Because they just gave that dude a three-year contract. It ain't nobody taking on two more years on a center they didn't really want to sign anyway. Yes, I like Mason Plumley. He's fine. I think what we will probably see here are some games where he rests or just doesn't play as much. Maybe they give him, they just dial his minutes back a little. Uh, for now, it's still a, a Plumlee-Isaiah Stewart timeshare. Keep a very close watch on that because if you start to hear rumblings of Plumlee getting... Wait, I don't want to say shut down because that's not right. Getting rest days, you know, skipping one half of a back-to-back, things like that. Then you start to look at Isaiah Stewart as more of a fill-in in those spots, but still uh, not there all the rest of the way. You know, for Stewart... It does seem like there's uh, some decent upside with him in that you can, you can if he ever got starters minutes, it would actually be relatively exciting. And, you know, 22 and a half minutes a game over the last two weeks, he is top 120. He's not as bad a foul shooter as some of the other bigs we've been talking about. Um, a little bit worse than Robert Williams, but better than Moses Brown, better than Nick Claxton. He also rebounds pretty well. He's at that coveted six and a half rebound mark and then the other stuff is actually relatively close to these other guys we've been talking about so there's some nice isaiah stewart upside but he strikes me more as a roto games cap kind of guy where you could i don't even think you need to pick him up right now but as soon as you start to hear about mason Plumley missing a game here and there stewart your your plug and play option to fill in on those particular nights Phoenix is a team we can largely skip over. They didn't make any adjustments at the trade deadline. We know exactly who they are. That's great. That saves us a couple minutes here on the pot. Toronto. They're supposed to be a new-look team, and then they weren't really. Toronto sent away Norman Powell and got Gary Trent Jr. back and Rodney Hood, who might actually play uh, some minutes but shouldn't be enough to be fantasy-relevant. We were all ready for Toronto to turn the whole thing upside down and be a completely different team after the All-Star, or the uh, trade deadline, and they're not. Which, I guess, makes them a relatively simple team to handicap. You know, we, we've been counting on them playing a whole lot of Norman Powell. They did send away Terrence Davis. They sent away Matt Thomas, which tells me they're probably going to play Gary Trent a little bit. They sort of turned Norman Powell into less of a slasher and more of a shooter, but they do need that. And Powell was playing quite a lot. 
I don't think that you pick up Gary Trent in nine category leagues. I think there's probably a, an outside path for him in points leagues just because Toronto likes to play fast. They like to spread the floor. So there are going to be shots for him. Let's just say this. It's not going to be as good as it was when he was filling in for C.J. McCollum and he had more or less all the shots he could handle in Portland, but it's not going to be as bad as when McCollum is fully back in Portland. Trent probably falls somewhere in between, which overall for him is actually probably a slight arrow pointed up because Toronto knew they weren't going to be able to afford Powell next year. Uh, so they got Trent, and and uh, they'll roll with that and kind of see how it goes a little bit. But no, from a fantasy standpoint, uh, category leagues, I don't think you need to pick them up. Points leagues, uh you don't need to do anything there. You could if you wanted to, uh, but I don't. Even if you didn't, I don't think you're missing out on anything. I'm going to assume Toronto is going to be in on the buyout market. We've heard about them hunting for a center. Uh, maybe that's where Gorgie Jang ends up. Who knows? Keep a keep a watch on that because someone could very easily jump over Aaron Baines uh, and even potentially over Chris Boucher. Although I don't think that I would sell him because I do think it's a little bit more of an outside shot that uh, Toronto gets somebody that moves the needle here in the buyout market. Boston is at Milwaukee. This is a rematch of a game these two teams played a couple days ago. Uh, Boston acquiring Evan Fournier at the trade deadline. I don't know if he's been cleared for this game yet, which is crazy because we're recording this in the afternoon. I, I was hoping we'd have a little bit more information on it. My guess is that he won't be, uh but I don't know for sure. What we did just find out moments ago is that Bobby Portis is in the health and safety protocols and P.J. Tucker is hurt. So uh, Milwaukee is down multiple front court pieces. That means you're probably going to get a lot of Brooke Lopez in that ballgame tonight and probably a decent amount of Pat Connaughton, though I don't really care on that side. Uh, Boston is certainly the more interesting fantasy side here because once Fournier shows up, it's going to be a big question mark as to how much he gets to play and whether it impacts any of the uh, traditional Boston players, the Kimbas, the Marcus Smarts, the Jalen Browns, the Jason Tatums. My guess is a little. Because they just added a player who takes some shots, who's somewhat proficient offensively, certainly more so than like a Jeff Teague, who was a player that was on the way out. Also, Daniel Tice gone from Boston. This is sort of our first look at the Robert Williams era for the Celtics, although it does sound like they're also in the market for a big man. By the way, super weird turn of events for Boston to ship out Daniel Tice and then immediately to surface in the uh, we're going after big men on the buyout market pace of the puzzle. I, I don't I don't 100% know what's going on with the Celtics. I do know that uh, Robert Williams is kind of the, the last man standing at center for them tonight. Matt Fantasy-wise, is great for him, but as the team goes, that may not be the best thing in the universe. But they're a bit—they're definitely a team to watch. I want to see what Time Lord's going to do. We've talked about how he was, even though he wasn't a buy low, he was a buy a little bit high, and we kept saying, look, you, you're not going high enough. Like, you should spend. This is a guy you need to go. If someone else picked him up before you, go offer up something juicy, and this is probably your last chance to do it, if you even still have one. Portland is at Orlando. Dame is sitting this one out, but on the Portland side, the only real news you care about is the return of Yusuf Nurkic. Nurk is back, baby. Uh, should be damn rusty for this ballgame, although he should have been rusty in the bubble last year, and he came out and just blew everybody's pants off. It was uh, incredible how much adrenaline he was rolling with at that point. Not super interested in what it means fantasy-wise, other than I think we all know it's going to uh, knock Ennis Cantor off the horse he's been riding for the last two and month change months. Orlando is very interesting because Terrence Ross's knee still hurts, so they are fully in backup mode right now. You're going to see Chuma Okiki probably get enough shots to be relevant. You're going to see a bunch of magic get added to fantasy rosters partway through tonight's game, and that's why this is one of your homework games. Portland-Orlando... I mean, it's a gross game. Don't get me wrong. They're playing a uh, 5 o'clock Pacific time game here on Friday night. That's going to be gross with no Dame, who's basically just taking the night off because it's the Magic and they don't have all four of their relevant basketball players. Sorry to the rest of the Magic, but you guys are not really relevant basketball players. It's going to be really weird. They have players coming in. 
uh, like a Wendell Carter Jr. is on the way. Otto Porter's on the way. Uh, those guys, I don't think, are cleared to play yet. But if they are, it'll be really interesting to see what goes on there. Who's getting the minutes anywhere on this team? What's Dwayne Bacon going to do? Is Al Farouk Aminu going to have to play 32 minutes a ball game? Like, you guys need to watch this and watch it closely. You're going to probably see someone like a Mo Bamba fire up the engines here if Wendell Carter Jr. isn't cleared to play in this ballgame yet. And then he's going to surrender most of that minutes in their next ballgame. Because clearly Orlando likes Wendell Carter Jr. He wouldn't have been you know, the centerpiece of the return on that trade to the Chicago Bulls, although they did get some uh, first-rounders back as well. Still, uh, like this is this is a critical basketball game to watch, and even if it doesn't tell us the whole story, it's going to tell us some of it. This is also a situation where we're going to have to balance our desire to add guys with the knowledge that those guys might disappear in the next ball game if or when the uh, two Chicago Bulls actually get a chance to play for Orlando. And then counterbalancing that again on the positive side with the possibility that some of these guys actually do stick and become kind of a streamer with benefits sort of thing or just like a take a flyer on kind of guy. The beauty of Orlando is that very few players on that team got added instantaneously after the trade deadline because most of them have shown to be uh, pretty bad fantasy-wise. Dwayne Bacon's fantasy game is, is bad. Michael Carter-Williams' fantasy game, as much as we were hoping it might round a little bit of a corner, is still bad. He'll probably do enough tonight, though, because no one else is around. But we also know that unless his usage is, you know, through the roof to the moon, he's not an ad. Plus, they also picked up R.J. Hampton from the Nuggets, and Cole Anthony will be back at some point. So there's all this stuff that's still swirling for Orlando, but homework time, man. I want you guys watching Magic games pretty much the rest of the way and making those moves early because it'll be better to have added someone that might hold on to a, a, a playing time slot than to say, well, they probably get pushed out by so-and-so and then miss out on something interesting because something interesting could shake loose for the Magic. I'm not saying it will because a lot of those guys do have bad fantasy game, but it could. Miami, Victor Oladipo likely not there yet. Uh, Nemanja Bjelica probably not there yet either. Mo Harkless and Kelly Olynyk are gone, so there's this a pretty goodly void at power forward right now that's being currently filled by, yep, Trevor Ariza. But this is an easier one. This is an easier one. When Bjelica shows up, uh, he'll play the Kelly Olynyk minutes, and you know what? He, there, there's actually a weird outside chance that he does enough at power forward to hit fantasy markers. But I have this feeling with Miami that, you know, they, they, Eric Spolster does not, does not roll with a guy if he's not playing well. And, and Bielitsa has many games where he's not good. So that probably ends up getting split up a little bit. Bielitsa will see some power forward minutes. Ariza will see some, they'll roll through a whole bunch of guys at that spot on the floor. Uh, so not making any large-scale changes. Victor Oladipo is going to put a big dent into anybody that's not Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo. I think we can safely say that, at least. On the New Orleans side, all they did was get rid of J.J. Redick, who wasn't playing anyway, so they're pretty much the same team now as they were yesterday. Well, yesterday before the deadline, I should say. So no changes there. You can stop stashing Nikhil Alexander-Walker, although you can still stream him here with Lonzo Ball out, who is, by the way, expected to miss both halves of the Pelicans back-to-back, so you might actually get a couple games here of Walker uh, relevance before Lonzo returns. So not, uh, excuse me, they're playing Charlotte. I don't know why I jumped to New Orleans. That's Denver playing New Orleans. Guys, I'm I'm swimming over here. Uh, Charlotte, yeah, the, uh, they were quiet at the deadline as well. Devontae Graham is picking up a lot of the LaMelo Ball stuff. That next game, the one with New Orleans, we already talked about the Pelicans. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm deep into a fog at this point, but my thoughts are clear. My vision is not. Denver is a very interesting team because they've got JaVale McGee and Aaron Gordon, more specifically, on the way to join them. I don't know what Aaron Gordon does 
for the team overall, uh, I think defensively he's probably a bigger piece of the puzzle for them than offensively. I mean, yeah, he does add things offense. They got better. They got better. He's better than Paul Millsap. Uh, you know, we were joking about it a little bit on our live show. Is he better than Millsap or Jermichael Green? Yeah, he's better than those guys. But uh, those guys are more efficient offensively than Gordon is. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic. His arrival will take some usage away from Will Barton. Uh, Millsap now won't get to play very much. Michael Green won't get to play very much. JaVale McGee probably does slot in as the primary backup to Nikola Jokic just to get a little bit of rim protection on the floor, but he's not going to play enough to to be a consistent thing, similar to his role in Cleveland. But Denver's a fun team, but just to kind of get a feel for what Aaron Gordon's going to look like out there, do I think Aaron Gordon has fantasy value? You know, that's actually a question mark. He he hasn't had fantasy value so far this year outside of points leagues because his percentages have been so awful and turnovers relatively high. Maybe his efficiency sees a spike in Denver. He's one of those guys, and you know, we always talk about how usage is value. Aaron Gordon is one of those very rare exceptions where it's it's quite conceivable that a dip in usage could lead to a big-time uptick in field goal percent and confidence, perhaps. Maybe that helps him at the free-throw line. I don't know. Let's just call that a wash. But if his field goal percent sees a jump playing next to Jokic, incredible passer, playing next to Jamal Murray, just guys that can get him open for easier looks, That's that could actually be helpful for him, even if the rebounding... Uh, well, maybe not the rebounding so much because he was next to Vooch and Jokic is a great rebounder too. Uh, but even if the assists do take a hit for him, that was part of what was going to, at least in my mind, I thought, boost his value. And you know, it wasn't enough because he's been so terrible at shooting the basketball. Houston, no more Victor Oladipo. And the guys they brought back, Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley, don't figure to take a ton of stuff away from the other guys. I guess there's a weird world where Olynyk might play some power forward minutes out there next to Christian Wood, but it's not like he's going to be a, a part of their future in Houston. Um, so I would stick with Jay Sean Tate, Daniel House, and Kevin Porter Jr. as the uh, the guys to to roster of the Houston Rockets. And we'll get a look at them here against the bad defense in Minnesota. Uh, Wolves set to get Malik Beasley back here very soon. D'Angelo Russell not that far behind him, but as far as tonight goes, there really isn't a whole lot to pay attention to. Indiana. Nah, I don't care. We, we're seeing them settle in. TJ McConnell kind of settling into his role. Karis Levert settling into his role, which is a pretty good one. Not that dissimilar from what he was doing in Brooklyn. I do still think that Karis LeVert is almost like a permanent sell high because there's this thing for all of us in fantasy. We remember the guy who scores 50. And he's exciting. He's an exciting basketball player, but he has giant holes in his fantasy game. And as great as the story was, those holes are going to keep him from really maxing out until he's an alpha on a team. And he's not the alpha in Indiana, uh, but for... We saw it in, in one of their most recent games. It'll be one game out of every four or five. Mavericks have been playing pretty well lately, although it sounds like Luka is uh, possibly out for this one, right? We see Luka's likely going to miss this ball game. Uh, that's why the line went tumbling down. Tumbling down. He's doubtful, was the latest report. Doubtful usually means out. Uh, but we will, uh, we'll, you know, you can confirm that as you get closer. By the way, it seems like maybe Gary Trent is going to play for the Raptors tonight. That'd be great. We'd love to get a better look at all this stuff here sooner than later. In any event, uh, not a whole lot to watch on the Mavs side. They picked up J.J. Redick, but I don't know that he really changes the team all that much. Memphis is in Utah. Jazz, they're a big load of nothing. Jordan Clarkson's been really too cold to start lately. Otherwise, they're pretty consistent and predictable ball club. The Grizzlies... It's all about who the hell's actually going to get playing time. Super annoying. Nothing changes there either. The Atlanta Hawks exchange Rajon Rondo for Lou Williams. They are hoping that Lou will have a nice homecoming. Um, he was one of the later trades announced on deadline day. I don't know that. Uh, I think he was in L L L.A. So he could meet the Hawks here in 
San Francisco. So it's possible that he actually gets in there for this team, but I don't know how he does anything. Points leagues is the best opportunity, uh, but still, you know, not necessarily a good one. So I'm not adding anyone from that mix. DeAndre Hunter is questionable with knee pain. That's a bad sign. Let's keep close watch on that. Golden State sounds like Draymond Green is supposed to be back for this ball game, but still no Steph Curry. Perhaps they'll be more competitive than they were in the last one. It is a back-to-back for the Warriors. They got smoked by Sacramento yesterday, but no real travel for them between the Kings and uh, now a home game here against the Hawks. Uh, Hawks are a weird one. You know, they went on this big winning streak. They've now lost two games in a row. I think they were a little bit of kind of the paper tiger racking up wins against bad teams. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Warriors make this one pretty interesting. Hawks are not that good. They got wins where they needed to, credit where credit's due, uh, but now they're getting tested a little bit. Road trip, decent teams out west. This is this is an interesting barometer. Fantasy-wise with the Warriors, I think you can just keep kind of streaming Jordan Poole, although he did cool off a little bit in the last ball game, but he's he's got all he can handle right now. Uh, Cleveland is in Los Angeles. Cavs taking on the Lakers. Cavs were also... Relatively quiet at the deadline. They have Isaiah Hartenstein now instead of JaVale McGee, but I don't think that changes things very much. And then I can't stand the Lakers fantasy-wise. Uh, if you're if you're tracking L.A., you're mostly just waiting to find out if Andre Drummond is coming or not. Saturday, uh, the Knicks are in Milwaukee. We still have not seen Derrick Rose get back on the court, and that tells you just how completely obliterated he was by COVID. That sucks because he was playing pretty well. Things looked like they were ramping up for him, and that just completely knocked him out of the picture. Alec Burks should continue to be a very easy stream as long as Rose is out. We talked about Milwaukee. We talked about Detroit already. Washington is a spot to watch just in case Daniel Gafford somehow grabs a hold of the starting center job and runs with it. I don't think that he will because Alex Len and Robin Lopez are still dinking and doinking around out there. Uh, it's just an ugly situation on a team that's not very good. And Russell Westbrook, my goodness. I mean, this is a guy that was one of the better players in basketball two, three years ago, and he is, like, he puts up these big rebounding lines, and I know he gets some assists and stuff, but good Lord, from a, a, a true basketball standpoint, he's a disaster right now. His contract, ah, eh, John Wall's contract is probably worse just for what you're getting. But boy... Woof. Oops on the max contract there. Anyway, we've talked about Houston already, Minnesota. We've covered Chicago. Nick Vucevic will be joining the Bulls here in this game in San Antonio. Spurs also, by the way, not playing on Friday, so a couple of teams to watch there. Spurs didn't really make any changes at the trade deadline. Minor stuff. They brought on Marquise Crisp mostly as a uh, expiring contract situation. So uh, Spurs are a team I sort of don't really care about from a, a fantasy perspective, at least in terms of deadline things. We already talked about how I think Keldon Johnson is is a drop, and I don't know if there's anything else to discuss there. With Chicago, now with a true center, what does this do to our buddy Thad Young, who's had an incredible fantasy season? I think they still try to find a way to get him out there, uh, but now he's behind Vooch and Larry Markkinen instead of basically rolling in front of Wendell Carter Jr. I think they still get him some 24-ish minutes of ball game. It's just going to kind of come in a different way. And or, or do they or do they split up Vooch and Markinen? Like I don't know that Larry Markinen and Nico Vucevic is a great pairing. Maybe this maybe Thad sticks as the starting power forward alongside Vooch, who can spread the floor. That would allow Thad to work inside a little bit more. They love his defense. They love he, his passing. Uh, Chicago has some things to sort out, but I'm not dropping Thad. Not, no, not even close. You got to see how this works out. He's been one of the big reasons why the Bulls have been as decent as they have been so far this year. And then uh, certainly curious what this means for uh, Tomas Sadoransky, who likely keeps his job. He could actually see more assists with Vooch out there if he's running plays, uh, pick and roll type stuff. Although it'll probably be mostly Levine, Vooch, pick and rolls. But let's say Sato gets involved in them. Working with Vooch as the other end of a, of any kind of two-man offensive game is a good spot to be in compared to, you know, basically anybody on the Bulls besides Zach Levine before this trade. 
There's Memphis and Utah playing again. They actually played three times in a span of five days. Teams are going to hate each other by the middle of next week. Uh, we talked about most of these other teams, not Oklahoma City, however, and uh, not a couple of the other ones on the later part of the docket. The Thunder, it really feels like Horford's going to be resting most of the time going forward. He'll play games here and there. Maybe he gets into this one. I don't know. Uh, but Moses Brown is locked and loaded. you got to just start him at this point. We need more information on Shea Gilgis-Alexander, his plantar fasciitis. They said it's going to sideline him for a little bit. Uh, so they want to rack up a few losses. Hold on Shea. Uh, Maladone's likely going to start, but Ty Jerome is the one with the better fantasy play. Unfortunately, that's probably going to be more of a timeshare than anything else for the time being. So just roll with Moses Brown. I don't think I trust Pokashevsky. I don't think I trust Isaiah Roby to start them in a games cap format. You could roll them out in head-to-head and just sort of take what you get. Uh, but Brown is the easy decision there. Philly traded away Tony Bradley. I know Dwight Howard uh, got ejected in Thursday night's game. Uh, and so Philadelphia was basically without a center for most of that ball game. I don't even know who was playing center for them. Was it Simmons? I think Ben Simmons was the center for most of that game. I'm, I'm uh, honestly not sure. I'm honestly not sure. Maybe it was Mike, it was Mike Scott. Sorry. It was Mike Scott was the center for most of that ball game. Um, Dwight Howard now is going to be basically spending his time with Mike Scott. I think you're going to see Dwight probably win that center battle most of the time. I know Scott was okay in this one against the Lakers. Uh, but Dwight is an interesting streamer until Embiid comes back. And for Philly, who keeps collecting enough wins without Joel, there's kind of no reason to rush him back. You know, Dwight's another guy where I hate the free throw percent stuff, but if you put him out there for 25 minutes or more, he's going to get you 11 rebounds. And that's significant. It's it comes. This all comes back to the Nick Claxton discussion from earlier in the podcast. So go ahead and stream Dwight Howard. The Clippers. Well, I'd like to see Kawhi and Marcus Morris get back in there, and they'll uh, they'll need them for this ball game. Philly's better than San Antonio. Do, will they play? I don't know. Uh, will Rajon Rondo play all that much? I also don't know. Certainly not adding him. Now I don't know that. I mean, is he going to be the starting point guard there? Would he start over Pat Beverly? I doubt it. You now Bev's been hurt. A lot of this year, as per usual. But, man, Rondo's fantasy game is not good anymore unless everyone else is out. Like, you could throw him on the Lakers right now with no LeBron and no AD, and he'd put up some serious numbers. But unless the Clippers are missing both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, it's not happening. Sacramento, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with DeLon Wright. I think everybody else is selling him too low. Uh, those of you that watched the game last night, the Kings put up 141 points in it and look at some of the minutes that were available out there. Justin James played 11 minutes off the bench as kind of a wing. Daquan Jeffries played 22 minutes. Kyle Guy played 22 minutes. And you're trying to tell me that there aren't enough minutes there for DeLon Wright to make an impact? There sure are, because I don't think they want to play Buddy Heald 36 minutes a game. I think they'd rather keep him in the 28 to 30. You might even see Heald shift to a bench role, although uh, they probably have that option with Tyrese Halliburton as well. Or even if DeLon does come off the bench, they'll play him behind Fox at the one. They could play him behind Halliburton at the two, behind Heald at the three. He really is a true three-position guard who can defend and can get fantasy stats without having to do a lot. Doesn't need to score. But look, he went from one of the slower teams in the NBA to one of the fastest teams in the NBA. That's generally a good thing for your fantasy value. It's why Fox can score 44 in a ball game, while Rashawn Holmes and Tyrese Halliburton are each scoring over 20. Don't dump DeLon Wright. I think it's premature. Maybe he doesn't get there. Maybe he doesn't play enough point guard to get the assists that he would need to get up and over the hump. But damn, you put that guy out on the floor for 25, 26 minutes, he's going to get you steals and blocks and rebounds. And I think enough assists to hang tough. Like he's a top 60 guy in starters minutes. Dial those back by a little bit. Yeah, he's going to fall off a couple of rounds. But I, it still, to me, puts him over the cut line. We'll see. It'll be close. It'll be close. But I think the pace element in Sacramento is one thing that folks are overlooking a little bit as well. They're going to be playing fast as hell, and that'll help. 
fast and loose. They're playing it fast and loose out there. That doesn't mean that they're just turnovers all over the place, but just a lot of shots, a lot of opportunity. Gotta love opportunity. That's the late game on Saturday. Is anybody uh, not playing Friday or Saturday? I don't think so. I think that's everybody. So, obviously, anything that you don't see shake out on Friday or Saturday, you take uh, a look at Sunday. Only four games on Sunday night, though. Uh, but if any of the players, basically, we're talking about guys that were traded, things of that nature that are not, we don't get the data in these next two days, then you sort of extend your look ahead to Sunday. What I will say, once again, to sort of put a, 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 a knot on this idea, and before I do wrap this up with some very important thoughts on how to attack the uh, waiver wire this weekend, I would say the following to all of you, and that is, Hoopball, once again, is recruiting. It's been like two months. I was hammering you guys with recruiting stuff in January. Well, the war of attrition was won by the universe over a couple of our contributors here at Hoopball. If you are interested in learning how to blurb write, how to run a news feed for a fantasy organization, we're looking for folks that can start on the blurb feed and grow from there. We are also looking for a DFS contributor. So recruiting pitch back here on the docket. Hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com for more information on our open contributor level spots on the news feed, the blurb wire, same thing, uh, or our DFS operation. So hit me up on those. Recruiting, hoopball recruiting once again. Okay, so here's the, the overarching thoughts on all of this stuff. I'm generally a podcast that reminds people to stay patient. Personally, I do actually have a decent amount of roster churn in my leagues. I make a lot of moves uh, with the last guy on my bench. I'm sort of always hunting the high upside guy, and it's pretty obvious to me when I'm not on the right guy. So I hunt the high upside guy. If I ever find him, then I solidify that spot, and I start trying to make trades. Two-for-one trades, open up that roster slot so I can start roster churning that last slot again. So I do make a lot of moves, but it's generally one roster slot that gets rotated through until something sticks. Although by the time something sticks in that roster slot, there's often one guy on the you know somewhere else on my team where maybe the situation changed and, and their value has fallen off. But the point is, while I do often make a fair number of moves in my leagues, it's usually not... It's usually one or two roster slots that I'm just sort of burning through over and over again. I see uh, a lot of folks in my leagues that have like three or four guys that they're that are constantly being on and off of their their teams, and I, I don't think that's a wise decision. I think, especially in Roto Games Cap, you can afford to sit on guys a little bit, give folks a tiny bit of extra rope when you know that they can achieve some measure of upside. This is actually different. This is a different strategy this time of year, right after the trade deadline, because this is a time where all of my instincts to tell people to wait and see can create a gap where you miss something. Because there are names we're not super familiar with. It's it's quite different than the beginning of the season. First couple weeks of the season... Like, they're guys that we know what they do. Rob Covington is a great example of this. We know what Rob Covington can do. So when he started the year shooting like 28% from the field, and you guys are like, Dan, I got to drop him. I got to do it. And I'm like, don't do it. You're going to regret it. It'll be the biggest regret you ever have in fantasy because I've literally been down this road before. Rocco, by the way, uh, inside the top 55 on the full season now after that incredibly slow start. Uh, I kept citing that, whatever, it was four years ago, I think. When he started off the same way, he was brutal. Couldn't shoot at all the first five, six weeks of the season. Then all of a sudden, the rest of that year, he was top 30 the rest of the way. And since basically since we talked about uh, hanging on this year, he's kind of been about top 30 the rest of the way too. So that was an easy one. You hold on guys like that because you know what they are at the beginning of the year. You have to be patient at the beginning of the year with guys that you under, that you know and understand. This is different because there will be guys that surface that we don't know. 
New names hitting the fantasy radar as teams go into the tank. Uh, Orlando being a great example of this. Someone could really just come out of nowhere. It could be a name that we haven't even discussed before that all of a sudden they're just like, all right, screw it. You play 28 minutes a night. And then a lot of the time in a situation like that, I might look at that player and think, well, can he keep this up after Otto Porter plays his first game? Let's say Otto doesn't play in their first game uh, with the new team. And I don't pick him up and someone else does. There's a, a very real chance there that that, miscellaneous unknown player actually does hold value the rest of the year. Not because they're good, but because Orlando would at that point be trying to lose. They're trying to move or buy out or whatever with Otto Porter or just not even deal with him or whoever the hell it is you're talking about. It doesn't have to be those particular guys. Don't miss the boat on an interesting pickup these next two days. We're pretty good in the fantasy community, the analysts at large. In general, we cover most of the NBA, and every year I think we even get a tiny bit better as a community. And this evidenced by draft day, that there are very few guys in the first couple of weeks of a season that are undrafted and come right out of the gate with fantasy value. There's like one or two guys every year. That's it. It's a pretty damn low number. We know what we're doing as a community, we know what we're talking about. But this is similar to that start of the year. There's usually one or two guys that we just don't see coming. You could look at the whole damn Orlando. I'm going to keep picking on Orlando because they traded away their entire team. You could look at the whole Orlando Magic roster and you'd be like, well, I don't know. And they might not either. They might be looking at their roster like, who should we give 28 minutes to tonight? Maybe do this guy. Here, look at this guy. Play him. I say him because I I don't know who the hell their ninth man is anymore. I don't think they even have one. I think they're down to eight tonight. So you can think of it like a streamer with benefits sort of thing where a guy that we didn't see coming just sort of pops up and has fantasy value. And then even if maybe the plan was to play an auto porter, maybe they just don't if some other young guy surfaces. So don't be as patient as usual here. And take a look at your team right now as we're finishing up the podcast and figure out who your low upside drop would be. Is it uh, Daniel House? Is it uh, uh, Bobby Portis? Is it... I have no idea. Who's in a, who's, is it Jay Sean Tate? Who's your lower upside drop for some weird name we didn't see coming that surfaces tonight or tomorrow or just over the weekend at large. And that's it. I don't have no idea. I, I have no clue how my sinuses made it through this thing. I'm, I'm Again, I'm just like swimming underwater in, uh, in histamines today. But we made it, and that's great. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Please do follow me on Twitter. I can't believe that we're almost at 7,000. That's crazy. Um, mind-boggling. Mind-boggling stuff. Oh, by the way, uh, we did get word here before our podcast that uh, Norman Powell... Uh, is active as are Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. So we'll get some information on that. Um, it, it looks like a lot of the guys that were traded are getting going quickly. So that's great news. And Time Lord is starting. So have fun with that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Also, by the, by the way, Norman Powell's starting because Damian Lillard is out. He might be their, uh, their bench firepower after that. Uh, and we did get word that Yusuf Nurkic is around a 20-minute minute uh, limit today. So uh, Ennis Cantor should still have value for the time being. The Orlando Magic starting lineup is Dwayne Bacon, James Ennis, Chuma Okiki, Kem Birch, and Michael Carter-Williams. So you got some serious streamer action going on in this ballgame. Uh, they don't have their new players yet. And so that's what we're talking about. That's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Um, Kem Birch might have a really big ball game, and... Uh, we at that point, we're going to have to decide, is this guy actually worth grabbing? Or is he going to disappear into nothing when Wendell Carter Jr. gets to town? I would venture to guess the latter, but we don't know for sure. Uh, Chumo Kiki feels like the guy that probably sticks. What about Michael Carter-Williams? You might have to do a lot the rest of the way. He could be a points league darling. 
Just saying. All right. Enjoy this one. Enjoy the weekend. It's going to be a weird one. Uh, hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions about this stuff. I'll be trying my best to to watch these games and let you guys know who is and is not actually worth diving into in the moment. And this is the type of stuff that our YouTube page is going to be doing here uh, in the not-too-distant future as well. Um, Cole Anthony, by the way, quick update on Cole Anthony. It sounds like they're hoping he'll be back after the Orlando Magic West Coast trip. So not quite ready yet. And that now officially is the end of the show. I am Dan Bespris for Fantasy NBA Today and Hoopball. Have a great weekend. Back at you Monday. Reverse chronological lightning round, and we will have a lot to cover then. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoopball presentation.